Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to Suncast Solar Warrior and this Tactical Tuesday, which is a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you practical tools, tips, and advice for building your clean economy business or career. Today, we are going to learn from Jessen Bradshaw, CEO at Energy Ogre, all about market-based rate authority and deregulated markets. If you've ever asked yourself, how does this work? How do deregulated markets function? And how do consumers choose what what power they're gonna buy? What do we do about the double-edged sword of letting consumers choose or letting energy providers choose the pricing that they want in the market? Well, all of those questions we answer in today's Tactical Tuesday. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. And don't forget to bookmark Suncast so you can come back on Thursdays for our long form episodes. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. You know, in a previous conversation, you said to me, a deregulation, kind of a double-edged sword. Can you give me an example of how that's true and how the market needs to evolve uh, when deregulation is introduced, whether it be power or telecom or other services? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, as as we've seen, and there's a long history of this, when we started with the airline business, maybe, you know, like, I know we we joked about that. I think we talked about that last time where, you know, folks used to get dressed up and it was very expensive to fly across the country. And (laughs) now that's, now with deregulating and, and allowing uh, th- these airlines to set rates and where they want to go, I mean, it's, still, it's not like Wild West. There's still the FAA still regulates these guys. There's a minimum customer protection. So when we say deregulation, it doesn't mean that it's like a free for all. You know, yeah. what we've seen is it's a liberalization of some of the the rules that guarantee these guys a margin. It makes them have to compete in order to make money, which is the way right. I think it should be that sort of lends itself to so much technical innovation and it usually ends up becoming a huge windfall for consumers in terms of lowered costs. Mm-hmm. And so we saw that in the airline business. We saw that in the telecommunications business. It definitely allowed, I mean, if there's a place where you've had a massive influx of technology and democratization of access to technology, it's hard to point to an example better than, than the telecom business, right? That's exactly right. So that, that's, you know, and in, to a lesser degree, degree, the same thing happened in the natural gas business. That's sort of opaque to most consumers because that happened really on the wholesale market in the last mile back through to consumers outside of places like New York and Georgia and some of these other markets that have deregulated natural gas markets that look like deregulated electricity markets. It's been the same thing. We saw lower, lower prices. So power as a general rule, if we can move into a deregulated environment, it, it just sets the 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 incentives slightly better, I think more consistent with what we see from a competitiveness perspective that ends up almost always benefiting the end user. So, you know, an example that I try to, to use is not to, you know, shill for the competitive markets, but 
my electricity rate that I pay at my house today is lower than it was in January of 2002. So there's not a lot of places where I pay less on a per kilowatt hour basis for electricity than I did 20 years ago. So it's it's real. It's like an unbelievable reality for someone in California who, and especially even a solar salesperson in California who part of the FUD of the, the economic theory is your power bill is always going to go up. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we will get to this point where you just can't make it any cheaper. And, you know, the overall inflationary pressures bring everything up, but it's always going to be orders of magnitude less than it would be in a regulated structure. <laughs> Do you see more deregulation and more, more choice markets across the U.S. than less as, as time evolves? I think that should be the case. I think that it's going to be a function of, you know, today we don't really see states competing for people, right? Hmm. What we see is, you know, some places like maybe Nevada or Texas try to set up environments that make it easier for people to create jobs or to bring technical innovation. So I think you might start to see that in some of these other places, particularly as you have out migration and then you're, you're dealing with how do you undertake a renaissance of bringing in you know, new jobs and younger people. And so you might see some of that. I think how we power our civilization, how we power our societies is the perhaps most fundamental aspect associated with us being able to innovate. I mean, our entire way of life is just not possible without electricity on the scale that we have it today. So it's definitely one of those fundamental things. It's almost I mean, arguably, you can live without electricity in a, in a dense urban center, but not for very long. So it's got to be right up there with, you know, food, water and shelter in order to maintain some of the way we, we do business here. I'll point back to for folks who listened to lots of other uh, Suncast episodes, our interview with Reagan Farr when he was working as commissioner for then Governor Bredesen in Tennessee. He pointed to the fact that power and electricity costs uh, are one of the levers that a state can pull along with taxes, to entice industry. And when you entice industry, you provide opportunity for jobs. It's, it's one of the major economic levers and, and operators that state government has. Uh, you know, one of the things that is apparent for everyone, apart from the fact that Texas is, you know, the, one of the largest states in the, in the, in the union, pro- probably is the largest in the union, um, not by population, but certainly by landmass. It's also one of the highest density uh, sort of centers of migration right now. Lots and lots of folks are leaving California to go to Texas and my home state here of North Carolina is among that sort of small group of folks uh, or, or places where industry is flocking. Having been in the market, and I'm sure you thought about this a fair amount, like why is Texas so attractive to industry and to folks that are moving there from other, other areas of the world, uh, let alone of the United States? I think there's been a history of kind of more light-handed regulatory approach. It is far more laissez-faire than, you know, other other areas of the U.S. that we've dealt with where, you know, there's certainly oversight and regulation. And, you know, we, we, we have a public utilities commission here that regulates everything that happens in the electricity and telecommunications business. Railroad commission, you know, regulates everything that happens in the natural gas business intrastate the rulemaking and the ability for someone to come in and take a chance and invest capital, maybe it goes back to some of that kind of wildcatting, hey, if you want to waste your money, you want to buy a lease and you want to go dump, you know, $5 million trying to strike it rich, then we're not going to stand in your way. You just got to make sure you clean up after yourself. 
It's just, it's lighter from a regulatory burden perspective, which I think makes it easier, which is particularly an issue. The higher the regulatory burdens and bars are, what happens is, is it really is a huge headwind on the small entrepreneur, the, the smaller guys that are out there, because the, the, the cost that it takes in order to be able to be in compliance, it really serves as a pretty big gate that protects the interest of the larger incumbent players. Mm. And, and the fact that as a general rule, we have that lower here, I think makes that somewhat easier and more attractive for people, particularly more in the entrepreneurial space. Uh, we see that, you know, I know the research triangle itself has has some aspects to that. And there's a big reason, you know, there's proximity to other types of things there. But I, I have to imagine the regulatory environment fosters that there. Same things in Arizona, Nevada, and, you know, here in Texas. So I, I think that's an important aspect to being able to bring uh, that entrepreneurial uh, mm-hmm. flavor, not just an idea, but actually be able to execute and have a probability of being successful. Yeah, I mean, certainly the last 25, 30 years for Austin area have been remarkable. San Antonio also booming. And with companies uh, like Dell there already having kind of created a name for the place and, and companies like uh, SpaceX and Tesla moving in uh, as well as Amazon and others, there are not only a lot of jobs moving there, but a lot of energy needs a lot of consumers. And that's where Energy Ogre, in fact, comes in uh, and helps in that market. Uh, you mentioned to me that there are a number of analogies that we could think about, and I'll, try, I'll probably posit some of my own in terms of how a consumer experiences the process of buying electricity in a deregulated market. I'd like to maybe tee up that question in the form of a slightly different one. Can you explain to me what is the business that you're in? Sure. It's basically, if, if I could sum it down, it's education and advocacy in maybe even simpler terms, trying to make it as easy as possible for someone to be a buyer. It's easy to think of, I need someone, I'm going to make a decision to buy electricity from some place or another place. Well, that's not really true. Every person here in the areas that are covered by consumer choice, which is what it is, it's not deregulation, it's basically consumer choice. Everyone has a position. You are not, you're natively short your energy requirements. You're not making a decision on who to choose is you've already made a decision is it the best decision that you can make? Is it a smart decision? Are you maximizing the value opportunity that the competitive market is providing to you? And what we found is that people, either from an apathy perspective or just, you know, people get busy or they forget or, you know, we all know things that we should be doing and we're going to procrastinate on some of those things. And the, the, the less knowledgeable we are about something, the easier it is to procrastinate on it, especially. And as I mentioned earlier on, you know, as a consumer here, rightly or wrongly, you're getting bombarded with messaging of best prices, low rates, whatever it is. And so making a choice amongst three options is one thing. Making a choice amongst 30 is different, you know, maybe with each one of those 30 providers might have five different plans. And so I think it's very easy for a consumer to get overwhelmed with not only making the right decision, but what are the decision points along the way? Should I renew with this provider? Should I go someplace else? Do I really want a renewable plan? Do I want free nights and weekends? Or is it really free? So it's, it's difficult for people, I think, to economize around an optimal scenario. 
you know, the good news down, bad news, that's, that's what we're trying to do. It's described of Energy Ogre that you're an electricity agent, a management company, use applied technologies to give tailor-made plans for members. Can you explain all that in like layman's terms? And I'm also curious, when you say applied technology as an entrepreneur, how did you go about thinking around solving problems for consumers with technology? So one super easy way to see an application of an emergent technology has to do with the advent of cloud-based computing. So we don't really think of that as a, as, as a technology, but it absolutely is a technology. I previously uh, ran a retail electricity provider. I had it in my corporate uh, down channel for a previous company that I, that I ran. And we spent millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on infrastructure. I had you yeah. know, dedicated uh, data centers and my own rack space and our own servers and you know, a whole team of people working on infrastructure. And so the barriers to entry were relatively large, you know, from a proprietary infrastructure to say nothing of the proprietary systems associated with that. Right. Well, the advent of cloud-based computing and being able to decrease the, uh, to variableize your cost structure around how you're growing and deploying the code base and the data that you need to collect. It's, it's a, there's no big binary chunk of cost that you're having to deal with. Now you you can start to match your cost with your revenues. And it makes that yeah. a, a really viable type of thing. There are other types of things, you know, another good example of that might be, we, we try to look at what types of machine learning or other types of emergent technologies become commercialized and how can we integrate those so that we have consistency of, of product support and consistency of customer experience. I can have people go through and do mundane things, but eventually, you know, I have to worry about error correction. Did someone fat finger an input of a number or something like that? As we start to be able to have, you know, as parsing technology is increased over time where we can read bills and transcribe information and transcribe data, you know, another emergent piece of technology that happened here that people don't really pay that much attention to uh, was us moving to uh, smart meters. Smart meters were not the norm when the market first opened. And so um, it didn't matter what 15 minutes of change that you were making a change in your home, uh, you were going to get settled against the profile consumption as opposed to what your actual consumption was. So integrating smart metered data, 15-minute data, that's, that's settlement quality information that's the basis of how you're getting billed um, what was kind of the second revolution in, in the competitive market here, but in, integrating that in what we're doing is, is a key component. So bringing, when I talk about emergent technologies is how, how can we bring these things to bear in such a way that it's cost effective and that it allows me to have consistency of replication and minimization of potential transcription or replication error in providing these solutions to customers. Cause they just want it as easy and as, cost effectively as they can get it. All the all the sausage factory activity that's happening behind the scenes, nobody cares about. So. <laughs> I'm going to encourage anyone who isn't already coming from a, a power background and you're just trying to wrap your head as an entrepreneur around what it might look like to think about the technological advantage that you can bring to energy innovation. Like just hit rewind and listen to the last 10 minutes again. <laughs> Like truly just take it from, take it, take it on face value that after 400 plus interviews, that 10 minutes is like book worthy. So just hit rewind and go listen to it again. 
uh, and then and you'll catch up again with uh, some really some more like really really useful knowledge. Okay, Solar Warrior, there you go. That's a wrap on today's Tactical Tuesday. But the fun doesn't stop here. Oh no, you can join us online where I tend to be most active: LinkedIn and sometimes Twitter. You can find those social media links at today's show notes for this episode over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the show notes tab in the navigation bar. It'll take you right to it. You can also scroll all the way to the bottom and click on search if you don't know how, if you can't find it fast, or if you want to search other topics that are represented in our more than 400 episodes here on Suncast. That's also how you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our YouTube channel or getting notified whenever we publish new episodes and video content by being a part of our email list. Hey, finally, if you're on Spotify or iTunes in particular or Apple Podcasts, I'd super appreciate you writing a quick five-star review if you did in fact enjoy this content. It helps others find Suncast more easily and it, it truly won't take you more than a couple of minutes. I really hope that you'll do that and thank you in advance for taking that upon yourself. And as always, a special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible and free to you. Go to mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor to learn more about them and how you could join them. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>